Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Yeah. Mike, check. Mike, check. One, two. One, two. One, two. For you. Yeah. <laughs> Word up. It's that biblical, biblical theology, theology study of the person of God attributes. God's word is like a breeze in the tropics, and Jesus got the keys to the cockpit. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet. So please watch as we proceed with the topic. Uh, yeah. And that's biblical theology. That phrase alone, they give some people allergies. Uh, they say it's not practical enough. Uh-huh. Just give me Jesus, that will be enough. That seems plausible and logical. Nobody wants to be all cold and theological. But being a theologian is not optional. Because when you talk about Christ, you're saying something doctrinal. Either it accurately portrays his majesty, or it's a travesty, or worse, blasphemy. You can do a global search. This mark is crucial to the health of a local church. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical. We gotta see the importance of biblical theology. What do I mean by biblical theology? The whole theme of the scripture and God's the key. It's following the Bible storyline and the ultimate goal is seeing God's glory shine. What he starts, he finishes with dedication. A work of art from Genesis to Revelation. From God's creation to man's fall to redemption to consummation. His designs and structure each time will fluster. What mind can instruct the divine conductor? His worthiness sits enthroned in the heavens sturdy and fixed. Romans 11.36 Biblical theology encompasses Who God is, what he promises, and accomplishes So clever we behold his endeavors unfold The greatest story ever told The Christian life is a difficult odyssey The faithful are a statistical anomaly The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically That's why we need that biblical theology Lord God, deliver us from apostasy The human heart is given to idolatry The situation is critical, we got to see the importance of biblical theology. Yeah. The Lord has not decided to keep us guessing. Thank you, Lord. He gave us the word providing us correction yeah. and the spirit for guidance and direction. Biblical theology is like protection from ourselves and our improper reflections so we can follow the Bible, not just our reflections. Otherwise, we will chop it into sections and not make the connections like the doctrine of election. And Satan is waiting to slice us in the mincemeat if our faith is a mile wide and an inch deep. Theology is like the root of a tree, which determines how rich the fruit's gonna be. And by God's grace, he'll breathe on us with his breath, lead us in his steps, show us his eagerness to bless. And we'll experience true peace within our death, because we'll know the meaning of Jesus and his death. The Christian life is a difficult odyssey. The faithful are a statistical anomaly. The enemy wants to trick us hypnotically. That's why we need that biblical theology. Lord God, deliver us from apostasy. The human heart is given to idolatry. The situation is critical, we gotta see. 
the importance of biblical theology. All right, folks, biblical theology, that is what we try and do here at Theology Matters with the Palouse. Glad you guys could join us for another episode. And today we're going to be continuing our discussion on worldviews that we started last week, Battle of the Worldviews. And we'll be comparing pantheism, atheism, and theism, again, with some of the crucial uh, points that make up a worldview. Things like, what is ultimate reality? Is there an afterlife? Has God spoken? And if he has, can man know what he has said? So stay with us as we're going to be getting into some of those issues. Um, We are going to have... A good friend of mine, Pastor Joey Deese, come on in just a moment, and we're going to hear a little bit about his testimony, how he came to be a Christian, and uh, his views on the need for apologetics and theology. But real quick before we get there, <clears throat> if you have not liked us uh, on Facebook, you can go to uh, facebook.com slash theologymatterswiththepalooze and like our Facebook page, there, and you'll find the shows that we've done pretty much for the last three and a half to four years is about how long we've been doing the show. And here at Theology Matters, we really take a strong uh, focus on Christian apologetics. We've been able to host numerous debates uh, with Roman Catholics, with Mormons, with atheists, uh, etc. And we've covered topics uh, from the occult, uh, to Islam, to all kind of different uh, theological and apologetic topics. So if you've not liked us on Facebook, make sure you go there again, and you can get uh, all of our shows there for free, uh, facebook.com slash theology matters uh, with the Palouse. Also, we're going to be having a uh, apologetics conference coming up April 22nd. And we'll talk a little bit more about that if you're in the Charlotte Rock Hill area. Uh, there's going to be <clears throat> some great stuff going on there. So we'll, we'll get to that here in just a little bit. So make sure you uh, mark your calendars for that. Without further ado, let me bring my, my friend here, Pastor Joey Deeson. He is the senior pastor of Oakdale Baptist Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And uh, he he does a lot of stuff, folks. He's uh, one of the boldest guys that I know. That's one of the things I really appreciate about him is he stands solid on the scriptures. He uh, believes the importance of a biblical worldview. And uh, just a great guy. Pastor Joey, are you there? Hey, man. How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Glad to be able to get you on the show and pick your brain a little bit. Definitely. I appreciate uh, you allowing me to come on. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah. So talk to us. Tell us uh, a little bit about uh, how you were raised and how you became a a Christian. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, I was actually adopted when I was nine months old out of uh, DSS. I still don't know the full story because adoption was closed uh, legally back then. So I still don't know the full story about that, but my parents adopted me and uh, ended up divorcing when I was uh, nine years old. 
And, uh, of course, the custody battle and everything, I remember vaguely some of that. And my dad ended up getting custody of me. And my parents, they, uh, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of alcohol involved uh, when my parents split up. And, and uh, some drugs were involved on, on one party. And, and uh, my dad ended up getting custody of me. So uh, my dad, though, was not a believer. And my mom was not a believer. And I just, uh, my dad and I just tried to get by. We didn't have a lot of money and just tried to get by and uh, and do good in school and just uh, do the right things. And as I grew older, as I got to 12 and 13 and 14 years old, I um, I just, I just never got in trouble because I was scared of my dad. I didn't want to, I didn't want to disappoint him. And uh, I got invited to come to a youth event that I had free pizza and the guy Clark Brantley told me girls would be there. So I was interested. And, uh, so we went, I went, uh, when I was about, <laughs> I was about 14 or 15 years old and I started going to church and I really fell in love with the idea of, of Jesus. I fell in love with the idea of church because there was a family atmosphere there and it had always been just my dad and I. So, it was really amazing to just feel the love of people and to hear about this Christ. And I had an amazing youth pastor who just kept pointing me to Jesus. That's that's what he did. And he, he really discipled me without me even knowing that he was discipling me. And he just kept pointing me to, to, to the cross and to Christ. So one day I walked down the, uh, I walked down the aisle when I was about 16 years old and I cried and, and I repeated a prayer that the pastor told me, to pray, and um, I became accepted at that church as a believer, and people around me thought that I was a believer as well, and, and I probably kind of a little bit thought I was a believer as well, but I just kind of learned to speak the language, uh, learned what I needed to say and what I needed to do, and I ended up dating the chairman of the deacon's uh, daughter, and uh, that was a prerequisite to make sure I walked down that aisle <laughs> to do that, and... <laughs> And uh, and after that, I, I just I stayed in the church until um, I stayed in the church until until uh, I broke up with that girl. We dated for about six years, and and after that, I was kind of outcasted a little bit. And uh, I realized through that that I really didn't know who Christ was because sin really never convicted me. I just stayed out of trouble so I could make my dad happy and and make sure I didn't disappoint my dad. Well, then one day um, I was actually working for a Christian radio station, and uh, so that Christian radio station is no longer there. But don't tell them I was not a believer working for a Christian radio station. But uh, it was it was good wow. for me because I was around other believers. But uh, one day there was a little girl I found out that was hit by a car in her neighborhood. She was on a bike, and she was hit by a van, and uh, that van hit her and. As a result of that, she was in the hospital for about 92 days. Her dad lost his job because he stayed at the hospital. Their mom uh, and the wife left them about day 30 or 35 because she couldn't handle it anymore, and they were left all alone. And uh, this this little nine-year-old girl, she was uh, fed through a feeding tube and and, uh, never could talk. Um, But he lost everything. He lost his car. And I just knew we had to do something for this family and so we organized a fundraiser, and we knew we needed to raise money for this car, and we, and we got some people to come. Actually, Derwin Gray, who's a pastor in Fort Mill, he wasn't a pastor then. He came and preached, and we had several bands there. But 
But uh, the really cool thing is, the reason I tell this story is because there was about 20 volunteers that were there, and I was kind of leading this effort. And uh, I was walking from a building to a softball field where, where everybody was, where the, where the stage was, and I saw these 20 volunteers, 20-plus volunteers. They were waiting in a circle, holding hands, waiting for me to get there to, to open everything up in prayer. And as I was walking, it was probably about a 20-yard walk. The Lord just really hit me right there. He said, uh, these people are here for me, and you're here for you. And I was. I wanted people to think I was a good guy. And at that moment, I knew who Christ was. I knew I knew what it meant to confess your life, to confess Jesus as, as my Lord and Savior. I knew all that because I learned about it. But on that walk, I did it. I wasn't at a church service. I wasn't at a, any, anywhere else. I was just me and God. I was walking by myself, and I said, Lord, you're right. I'm done. And I surrendered my life, and I knew he was calling me to the ministry. Even before that, I knew there was, there was going to be something to do with ministry. And at that moment, I really accepted that call into ministry right after I accepted uh, his grace and his mercy, and I confessed him as Lord and Savior. Wow, that's, that's an amazing story. I didn't know really any of that. So that's uh, that's amazing how God works uh, in our lives and through circumstances, uh, etc. Were you able to share the faith with your with your? Oh yeah, my dad has since become a believer, and uh, it really was hard on him when I told him I was called into ministry. He uh, basically said, "No, you're not. You're not called into ministry," <laughs> because he wanted me to make sure he wanted to make sure I had a good job and I made some money and. And, and things like that. And uh, as a result, I went to uh, UNC Charlotte for five years. Uh, I switched majors wow. about three times and uh, and uh, wasted a lot of class time there. But praise the Lord, it was able to transfer to, to get a to go to Bible college and, into, and and go to seminary. So, but yeah, he ended up giving uh, giving his life to the Lord, and uh, is a huge supporter. He's uh, he's I talk to him every day. Amen. Well, one of the things uh, you know, I was telling the listeners about that I really appreciate uh, about you is um, you're one of you're one of the few pastors that I know that are not um, scared or timid or whatever the languages people want to use uh, to speak out on things. You're not afraid to say um, that other religions are in error or wrong, or that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Uh, or that the Bible is the word of God, you have a biblical view of marriage, uh, etc. What, um, I'm trying to think how to formulate the, the question here, uh, where, do you, where do you get your boldness from? Well, I, I believe I, I get the boldness from just uh, one of the guys in, in God's word that I just really just kind of fall in love with and, and just want to pattern my life after him if I can even come close as Paul and Paul was just so bold and so he stood for the gospel and I see other I see other pastors. I've noticed um other pastors in my life that have influenced me. They have been bold. Um uh, one particular uh pastor well as he's actually a Christian historian named David Barton. I went to one of his conferences a couple of years ago and he was really showing us how how our pastors we can be bold and not be scared and and I don't know. It's just I, I don't. I've always kind of had that that boldness, not worried about what people were going to think. And and I just knew. I, I don't know. I guess when I you know accepted the call in the ministry, I knew that there is there's only one way. And and 
And from what the Bible says, you know, we can't we can't compromise. So I don't know. I guess it's just conviction from right. the Lord and the Holy Spirit, and uh, just that no compromise. That spirit. I have an awesome wife who uh, isn't afraid to stand with me and isn't scared and you know doesn't hush me. <laughs> she hushes me when I need to be hushed. <laughs> but uh, as far as boldness for the gospel, um, we just stand. And uh, I don't know. I guess we, I've always been doing that, and the Lord's always been to, uh, one to take care of me. I met a pastor in Israel uh, that really, really kind of uh, moved that boldness forward last summer. He was, uh, he's a pastor there, and he uh, has, a, has a church there in Jerusalem. And I, I went to lunch with him one day, and it took us two hours to go to lunch because, uh, because literally every person that he came in contact with, he told them about the Lord. And uh, he, was, he was witnessing to you know, Jewish people. He was witnessing to Muslims. He was witnessing to atheists. And it, it just convicted me. I mean, that's what he lived for. He was, he was, he was put here to tell people about Jesus. And the Lord really convicted me last summer too. He's like, you know, what are you doing when you go to lunch? What are you doing when you go to Walmart? Um, you know, are you standing out for me? Well, you know, and I just, I don't know. I just, I figure if we're going to do this, we need to go all out, right? We don't need to be soft. That's right. Amen. What would <clears throat> what would your advice be to those uh, younger younger guys who are wanting to get into the ministry and wanting to uh, maybe one day be a pastor? What's what's some advice you you'd give for them? Um, I would find another pastor that they that they have seen that's uh, stood for the word that hasn't compromised. Of course, we're not going to be perfect, and we're not going to find a perfect pastor. But I would find one and pray about one and uh, and go to him. And say, man, you know, I've been called in the ministry, and I and I want your help. I want I want to walk around with you. I want to hang out with you. I want to I want to learn how you study. Um, that's one thing that I would I would do. And and of course, get into the Word and and, and study the Word, and you know, the uh, find a way to uh, to learn the Word and, and learn um, all as much as you can. Because I, I, if you're called into it, I would also just to advise you if uh, God has called you into the ministry, don't try to do anything else because you'll be miserable for the rest of your life until you surrender that call. Wow. That's good. That's, that's, that's good advice. Um, kind of, um, we see kind of the, the state of evangelical Christianity. Um, it, it seems to be in some, some respects, uh, somewhat, um, Sometimes a little squishy on certain issues, and sometimes <laughs> That's a good to word. <laughs> be, yeah, <laughs> trying to be politically correct here. Uh, sometimes <laughs> on issues such as the sanctity of marriage, <clears throat> uh, etc. Sometimes I, I think, in order to be accepted or relevant, um, the message is sometimes changed or softened. What advice would you give uh, pastors who are wanting? stand on the Word of God, but also uh, wanting to be welcoming um, to the people in the community and be able to teach them a, a biblical view, um, but also stand, you know, uh, loving with, with people. Yeah. What would you say to, now, to that? Yeah, um, I would say that that it is, it gets hard, and Satan, he really pushes you. He really tries to get you to shut up and he tries to get you to conform to the world. The Bible says, of course, don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we, we've got to, as pastors and as church leaders and as Christians, 
We we have nothing but to stand on the word of God. We don't have a right to change it. We don't have a right to to make it mean something that it doesn't. And uh, the advice to that, I, I mean, I've I've had the opportunity to witness the people who are homosexual, to witness the people who are caught in adultery, to witness the people who um, who believe that the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality, or or um, you know non biblical marriage, or even believers that believe that abortion is okay. Um, my advice is to is to come to them in love with the truth. And you know, a lot of people, a lot of people in the church these days, it seems. Uh, that I was driving by a, a church the other day, and it said that, we, that it was something Baptist Church up in South Park, and it said that they were a liberal church on their sign, and it said uh, it, it was, and it had their front doors painted in a homosexual uh, flag, had the homose- on their front doors. And I was like, man. So wow. we as believers, we as believers, um, if we're going to love people, if we really love people, that that word has been so uh, distorted and prostituted by Satan. Uh, love is it brings truth in. So if we we can we can love people by the world standards and we can love them all the way to hell, um, but we right. have to love them with truth and tell them that hey, here's where it's wrong. I mean, every time it seems that there's 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 a couple people that haven't come back, but every time you stand for the truth in, in the Bible, uh, they will come back and they'll say, you know what you're right and, and people want the truth i mean people out in this world are dying for the truth they've had enough people that's coddled them and that told them it's okay and told them everything's fine that homosexuality is okay that that you can live together before marriage that 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 um islam and catholicism and christianity were all one big happy family that that you, you can call them whatever god you want to and i think they're realizing the world's realizing that's garbage and uh when you stand for the truth they are drawn to that. They're drawn to that city on a hill that's standing for the Lord. There's a there's a uh, there's a girl that I know now that she came up in our youth group and she's a practicing homosexual. And uh, and about every six months when she gets back into trouble, she messages me and says, "And I know you're right, but I can't repent. I know the Bible's right, but I can't repent. And it's a lie that Satan's got her in. And she knows the truth, and she knows that I'm not going to compromise. And I don't know if she's Sometimes people go to Christians looking for their sin to be accepted, and we can't do that as believers. Right. I think that speaks, you know, uh, volumes to your character, though, that she's willing to come to you. She knows that she's she's wrong and uh, still willing still willing to come to you. And that's a perfect example of, you know, just because we don't agree with particular actions, don't mean we hate the person. Uh, like the media exactly. will often put out, yeah, right. Yeah, so, the world has uh, the world has done that. The world has said that if you disagree with with this and you think this is sin, that we're automatically hateful bigots that that want them to die and go to hell. And in reality, the reason we're telling the truth is because we don't want them to die and go to hell. We want them to to be saved from their sins. That's right. We love love people enough to tell them the truth, and that's yeah. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot harder than just. Uh, tolerating someone. You know, Dr. Frank yeah. Turek always says uh, loving people is going way beyond tolerating someone. It's, yeah. it's uh, telling them the truth and, and walking with them through those uh, struggles. But That's um, exactly right. Charlotte, <clears throat> Charlotte kind of made a made some media splash here recently with um, the ordinance that passed regarding the transgender uh, bathrooms. 
Talk to us a little bit about that. What exactly was that? And then talk a little bit about some of the efforts you guys have done here in Rock Hill, which is uh, not not far from Charlotte, but it is, of course, a different state. We're in South Carolina here uh, as opposed to Charlotte. But maybe you could talk about just what is the ordinance and then what are some of the things that you and some of uh, the other local pastors are doing. Yeah, sure. The uh, Charlotte, I believe it's been two weeks now, and uh, it's been an ongoing fight. I believe they've tried for three years now. One one particular guy led the way in this cause to to basically turn it into an issue where transgender people are offended and their their you know their feelings are hurt if they have to go into a bathroom of of the way God made them. And uh, and what Charlotte did basically, they have an ordinance uh, now that says whatever way you feel. Uh, if you feel like, if a man feels like a woman that day, no matter what kind of surgery they had or anything, if they feel like a woman, they're able to go into any bathroom they want to in Charlotte. It begins April 1st. And they're also able to go to any locker room. And that's happened in Seattle and in another city. I can't remember which city. But uh, we've already had uh, instances where where perverted men have gone in and they've stood in the locker room without any clothes on into a girl's locker room and there's nothing they can do about it now because of these laws. And, and, uh, it turns out actually, before we talk about what we're doing in York County now, the guy that led the effort in Charlotte has, uh, stepped down from his position in the LBGT community because, uh, it has come out that he's a registered sex offender. So a registered sex offender wow. led this drive to do this. And actually pastors in Charlotte had tried to warn and they, and from what I understand, they tried to warn local Charlotte media that who this guy was and the and a national media source Breitbart finally picked it up two days ago and then Charlotte wow. had to deal with it yeah so we're we're 20 minutes down the road from Charlotte and a lot of our people go to Charlotte for our church we go on field trips with our kids to Charlotte we go to Panther games all that stuff so it affects people in Rock Hill and and uh so what we're what we had a we had an initial strategy meeting last week of people in the community that want to put pressure on our uh, council members, our, your, our uh, county council and city council members. And if you're listening from another state or city, understand that, that we need to do this as believers, that um, that if we have – and I don't know their stance yet. I, from what I understand, that they, they do not support an ordinance like that. But what we want to do is get proactive legislation in the city and, and uh, county to make sure this never happens, that, 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 that we have laws in place and it's a shame that we have to put a law in place to say that only women can go in women's bathrooms. But that's what we want to do. Yeah. And it shows you how far we've come, come as a country. But, um, it, you know, and if they, don't, if they say, you know what, we don't want to do that, that Christians step up, stand up, the church stands up and steps up and says, you know what, we're going to put somebody from the church, a believer, in that county council seat so that, uh, that, right. that we can have <clears throat> biblical values in our town. But, yeah, that's right. where we are now. and. We're uh, waiting to. We're going to get on the agenda in April, uh, either late April or early May, to present this and uh, see if we can go ahead and get something passed. And and if they support it, it'll be great. And uh, we'll let people know. And if they don't support it, we want to let people know that as well, so we can know our next step forward to uh, get that pushed through. Amen. Well, I will let you go because I know you're uh, you're a busy man, uh, but I do appreciate you. Uh, coming on the show. Appreciate your boldness. Yeah, man. Appreciate your example. And uh, look forward to doing a lot of stuff with you in the future. 
Yeah, definitely, man. I appreciate what you do too. And, you know, I, and I challenge people to be bold because, you know, that's, that's, that's what Christ has told us to do. Be bold. Amen. All right, brother. You have a wonderful weekend. You too, man. God bless you. God bless. All righty, friends. Uh, that was Pastor Joey Deese of Oak, uh, Oak, Oakdale Baptist Church here in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Check out this church. You can go to the website, uh, find more information about him and, and the uh, wonderful congregation there. And, uh, Amen. You know, you need we need bold uh, pastors. We need those who are not afraid to preach the word and those who are, are willing to stand up for truth. You know, a lot of people have this idea that uh, religion and politics don't get together and, you know, just preach the gospel and don't worry about uh, getting involved with those uh, kind of political issues. But, you know, friends, Politics affects the ability to even preach the gospel. You know, people say, oh, you can't legislate morality. Well, all morality is legislated. Think about any law, and it's legislating morality. Don't kill. Uh, Can't drive drunk. Have to drive a certain amount of, you know, speed on the road so you're not reckless and and hit someone, etc. Really, the only thing you can legislate is morality. So the bigger question always comes up. Uh, whose morality are we going to legislate? That's the question. Uh, and so don't buy into the lie that Christians should not be involved in politics. Politics matter. Um, there are countries where because um, people didn't speak up, and Christians didn't speak up and vote, etc., cetera, uh, you get leaders in there that close down the ability to preach the gospel. So even even the ability of those who say, oh, don't get in politics, don't get involved in politics, just preach the gospel, need to remember that um, that you know preaching the gospel is is related to politics and having a, a country where we're allowed to do that and speak freely of the things of God. And so those things matter, folks. So thank you, Pastor Joey, for all you do. Um, look forward to to seeing the future, uh, what happens in the future with that. So with that said, we're going to take a quick, uh, short break. I'll be back with my pastor, Pastor Dave Keene, and we're going to talk about the apologetics conference, uh, that is coming up here, April 22nd. You guys, uh, you really don't want to miss that. It's going to be a great event. So hang out with us and we will be right back after this. You're listening to the Ankerberg Minute with apologist and best-selling author, Dr. John Ankerberg. How can we know that God exists? Well, there are many arguments for the existence of God, but one of the most popular is known as the moral argument. The moral argument shares that every law needs a lawgiver, a personal being who is the source of our innate sense of right and wrong. Since moral laws do exist, such as not lying, stealing, or not to murder, there must be an original source for these morals. The Bible explains that God alone is holy, righteous, and morally perfect and exactly fits the description of this moral lawgiver. As Paul said, God's righteousness endures forever. God alone is holy and serves as our source of perfection 
and standard of guidance for life. For additional resources on this topic, log on to johnankerberg.org. All right, folks, and we are back, and I have joining me on the line uh, Pastor Dave Keene, and as I said uh, just a few minutes ago, he's actually my pastor uh, at Park Baptist Church. Pastor Dave, are you there? I'm here. Happy to be here, friend. Yes, good to have you. We just had Pastor Joey D. on, so it's kind of like uh, Southern Baptist Day on uh, <laughs> Theology Matters today. It's a, it's a great day at Theology Matters, then. Yes, it is. It is a great day. Uh, before we get into the apologetics conference, tell us just uh, a little bit about yourself and your family and Park Baptist. Well, my my pleasure. Um, well, I am uh, Pastor Dave Keen. I am the pastor of the Park Baptist Church. We are in Rock Hill, South Carolina on, on Main Street. Uh, I've been there for three and a half years. Uh, the church is 109 years old. Uh, so it's kind of gone through different seasons. Um, before I got there, it was kind of in a season of decline. And by God's grace, we've kind of, I think we've kind of turned the corner. Uh, the Lord has breathed life into our congregation. And um, traditionally, it's been an older congregation. Uh, but of late, we've had a kind of a resurgence of young families with uh, small children and a bunch of college students who are just hungry to hear the Word of God. Uh, plus, we have our, our faithful um, who've been part of that congregation for a lot of years. So I'm married uh, to my wife, Evelyn. We've been married for 11 years. Uh, she is a blessing in so many ways, not only to, to me, but to our church family. Uh, and, and I have three children, uh, Elizabeth, who's nine, John David, who is seven, and our little Olivia, who is four. And Pastor Dave, is uh, he's a man after my own heart. He loves theology and he loves um, preaching, etc. What are um I know you went to to seminary. What are what are some of your real areas of interest uh in theology, Pastor Dave? Uh well, I think, you know, obviously if um I'm I'm a, I'm a pastor, so ecclesiology, uh, the study of the church is probably my most passionate um area of theology, probably particular in that realm, uh pastoral theology. Uh, I do love uh preaching, uh love expository preaching verse by verse. Um, book by book um, of the scriptures. I love all theology. Of course, you have theology proper, theology of God. What a great privilege it is to study um, study God, and what a great privilege that we have a God who allows himself to be known, uh, both through reason and through the study of our world, through the study of scripture. Uh, soteriology, how people are saved, and Christology, all beautiful things that I love to think about. Amen. And you've actually uh, published, I guess, a few books. Is that that's correct? People can can get those on Amazon. What are what are some of the books and some of the themes? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, most of the books are kind of comprised of messages I've given at the church. Uh, so a couple different areas. Uh, there's a there's a book on there. A couple of books through through a series I was doing through Luke's Gospel, the Lord calls sinners, which is more evangelistic and how the Lord calls us to mission. Um, Guard Your Soul, which is different ways the, the world uh, tempts us uh, so we can guard our soul from, from pride, busyness, discontent. Um, uh, there's also um, a book on the church. It's what I did is I took a uh, three months and just kind of taught basically a new members class, Church 101. Um, so you can kind of go and read all the key doctrines of the church looking at various texts. 
Um, and then recently I just published um, a book on the Proverbs. Uh, spent uh, over the summer, spent some time working through the Proverbs. So we're going to really see how Christ um, reigns in the Proverbs, specifically in um, all the different areas. Of Pro- Proverbs is a very practical book about money, parenting, marriage, and we really want to show how Christ really is the center of wisdom uh, in that book. Uh, and then I know that you're going to be teaching later on uh, worldview, but I did a, a brief series on um, biblical thinking and just various topics that we need to think about. So we looked on um, race, uh, abortion, um, marriage, uh, homosexuality, uh, even social media, um, and just kind of really thinking, you know, immigration, how do, what does the Bible say on these things? Uh, the book is not an answer, it's not a answer every one of those topics. It's just more of how do, how do we, you know, what does the scripture kind of begin to say about this um, to try to help frame the discussion on those areas. Um, so there's just a few. Uh, hopefully there will be, be a service to, to both my people at, at the church and uh, anyone who, who picks them up. Best place to get that, is that uh, at Amazon or? Uh, yeah, you can go to Amazon. Um, there's links on my personal website, davekeen.com. Uh, so if they go there, um, D-A-V-K-I-E-H-N.com, uh, all the stuff's listed there, all my writings, uh, you know, kind of like the, the blog that we do uh, at the church is hosted there as well. All right, good stuff. Well, one of the reasons uh, I wanted to bring you on today was to talk about uh, the apologetics com- uh, conference coming up called Overcome uh, an Apologetics Conference for the Church. Uh Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about this conference. Well, first, I, mean, I think, you know, over the last three years as a pastor, what I have found is that there is a growing hunger uh, for apologetics, uh, for people to defend the faith. You know, in our culture, uh, that's kind of growing more hostile uh, to Christianity. Um, you know, people tend to make arguments in the public square against the Christian faith. And a lot of Christians just kind of back down or retreat from them, you know. So they either back down, meaning they don't feel equipped uh, to handle some of the arguments, so they kind of shut down, uh, or they just retreat and don't even engage those topics. Um, so I, I've just seen the hunger growing among people. Uh, we've had uh, several different discipleship seminars that we kind of do both in the fall and the spring, and uh, you taught several classes on apologetics, and, man, they're the most highly attended People are really hungering after apologetics. Um, so the the conference started really because we see a need uh, both in our church community as well as just in the culture in general for us to to be more thoughtful as Christians and how we engage uh, the culture. Uh, so we as uh, as Baptist York Baptist Association, um, we've had several several folks come up to us and say, "Would you guys consider putting out an apologetics conference?" Uh, so when you do an apologetics conference, there's different avenues. Some conferences are kind of geared towards, um, you know, non-Christians, and you may have an event at a secular a university, um, is God a moral monster? Kind of a provocative question and really draws in people to really think about these kind of kind of issues. Uh, well, this one is not necessarily geared at the non-Christian, but it's really geared at the Christian. What we want is we want Christians to come and to, to get a taste of why apologetics matters. Why is it important to think um, wisely, to think carefully about the issues of our day? Um, 
so we we got a great lineup. I'm sure you probably asked me more specific questions about the conference, but just generally we wanted to have the conference because we just see a hunger for apologetics, and we really hope that Christians um, in the pew, you know, the average Christians who work nine-to-five jobs, who who work at at factories, uh, who work at office buildings, when they're engaging with their uh, lost coworkers, when they ask them theological and cultural questions, that they're going to be equipped, and we think apologetics is a great way to do that. Amen. What are some of the topics that are going to be uh, talked about there? Well, there's three main topics, uh, plus a panel discussion that's going to be happening, so the audience is going to be able to bring some of their own questions. But uh, one is just going to be on Islam. Uh, if, you, if you look at the, the media today, there's a lot of ideas of what is going on uh, with Islam. Uh, so you see the rise in ISIS uh, and just what's happening with our to our Christian brothers uh, overseas. Uh, just just last week, there was an article that was that was uh, that made national news that um, there's been calls to what's happening in ISIS against Christians to be labeled as genocide. Uh, when you use a group, an Islamic a militant group, and genocide, uh, we should take note. Um, so we're going to kind of think about how do what is the goal of Islam? What is how do they um, you know use uh, terrorism and immigration, birth rates, and how it all works together to uh, fulfill Islam's definition of submission? So we're going to have Garrett Eckert, uh, who is a, um, a graduate of Southern Evangelical uh, Seminary, uh, come and just try to help help us think through what should a Christians, a Christ-centered response be uh, to Islam. Uh, you know, those who are are Islam, who, who follow Islam, are not um, um, our enemies. You know, some may be our enemies trying to directly attack us, but those who are following Islam's are made in the following Islam are made in the image of God, and that they need to be engaged with uh, with the gospel. Uh, so uh, Garrett is going to be uh, trying to walk us through how to do that. Uh, a wonderful topic for our day. One, uh, another one that you're actually going to be doing, you might be able to speak on this yourself, um, is, you know, there's a lot of questions that are posed, especially on college campuses, those in the secular field. A lot of things, you know, people say, I don't believe in God because of science. Uh, you know, man was not created but evolved, you know, according to science. You know, we can only uh, believe that which we can prove scientifically. So all these things that the scientific community has kind of put out there in the public sphere um, that's really taught through our secular campuses. So if you think about what happens in our in our culture in general, so you have the elite institutions, anywhere from Ivy League institutions to uh, state universities that are seeped in um, scientific, rational humanism, secular humanism, uh, and they're taught a specific uh, ideology well, that idea becomes the mainstream when those people who were trained at those universities become leaders in the public sphere, both both in the media uh, and businesses. Uh, so, what we're gonna, what you're gonna do, I hope, <laughs> what I hope you're gonna do is show us how science and the Bible are not in conflict. How that God uh, is uh, the author of science. I remember reading in college uh, of Galileo, and Galileo said that God wrote two perfect, made two perfect books: the book of Scripture and the book of the world. Uh, God, the world is not opposed to the Bible, but they are uh, if you work in tandem. Uh, so you're going to kind of help us sh- see how science actually points to belief in God rather than vice versa. Uh, 
Uh, and then uh, Adam Johnson, who's, who's a pastor, um, a PhD student, is going to help us think about culture uh, and really help us think about culture in, so that we can uh, more effectively share our faith. Uh, you know, I think one of the challenges is that we tend to uh, bring the, the gospel and our evangelism in a very canned way. We've been taught a very formatic way, form, formulaic way of sharing the gospel, which is which is fine in its sense. If you're able to tell someone um, the 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 death about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and faith and repentance in Him is the only way to salvation, and that that is good. And I'm not trying to downplay that. But I think what what people need today is one-on-one conversation, uh, helping um, them understand from their uh, secular worldview how to understand the gospel. So I've tried to explain uh, kind of a brief definition of evangelism of sharing the gospels, taking the whole gospel to the whole person. Well, the person that we're sharing the gospel with comes from a very specific cultural uh, perspective. They are... Um, they view the world in a very particular way. So Adam's going to help us see how does our world think? How does our culture think? And why does it think the way it does? You know, what led uh, to the, to the, our culture making these kind of conclusions? Uh, and I think what he wants to do is hopefully help us expose the presuppositions that our culture has so that when we get, engage people with gospel conversation, we're, we're building their understanding who they are, uh, why they think the way they do, so that we can more effectively communicate the gospel, to, to speak the gospel in a way that would make sense or be relevant uh, to our hearers. Amen. And Adam is a, is a brilliant guy. I know he's a big Francis Schaefer guy, and uh, I know Schaefer very big on that uh, as far as reaching the, the culture and ways to reach the culture. So it really will be uh, a great time. And is this the, the first time that a, an apologetics conference has really happened within the kind of the York Baptist um, Association, or has there been others? As, as, you know? as, far as, as, as far as I know, brother, this is the first one that's happened, uh, which is really exciting. You know, of course, you know, there's just been an upsurge in, 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 in the desire for apologetics and of course, Rexio Christi is a, is a new ministry uh, kind of on the scene of campus, college campuses, and you engage with college students all the time who have these kind of questions. And not only college students, you engage with people in the pew uh, at our church with these kind of questions. You've been kind of our resident apologist uh, at the church. Uh, so, yeah, so this is the first one I know that is happening. And what, I, what, I, what do we pray um, that's going to happen with this conference? We pray that people are just get exposed to thinking about apologetics. You and I both know that going to one conference is not going to revolutionize how people are able to uh, deal with apologetics. But if they go and they get interested, well, then they can, they can lean on brothers like yourself and Garrett and, and Adam who are in this community to, to, to where, where's the next steps? What books should I read? What, what website can I go to to continue to think about these these sorts of matters? Because a true apologist, a true effective apologist, uh, is one who thinks deeply. Uh, and we know that thinking deeply about uh, the great things in our world uh, do not happen just in one evening. Uh, but we pray that if we begin that conversation in one evening, thinking deeply about the things of God and the things of this world, how we can engage our, our culture, both with science and 
in Islam. Uh, we, we pray that it would be a starting point uh, to really uh, change our city uh, and, and honestly, our, our, our nation. Amen. <clears throat> Absolutely. That's the desire. When is the conference? And uh, maybe talk a little bit about uh, our costs, uh, child care, et cetera. Uh, yeah, well, we, we, we really believe in this conference. So it's going to be April 22nd, uh, which is going to be a Friday evening. It's going to be 6 p.m. Uh, to 9.30 p.m. It's going to be at First Baptist Church in Fort Mill. Uh, you can find it online, but the address is 121 Monroe um, White Street in Fort Mill, South Carolina. Um, now, we want this, this event to be free. Now, there's always a, there's a, there's a, there's a benefit, and then there's a, a cost of making it a free event. People think that free events are not um, sometimes worth, um, worth it because it's free. Uh, it's many ways. It's the same way that Paul viewed in, 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 in when he went to Corinth. Uh, Paul gave the, the gospel free of charge in Corinth, and there were other people who were, who were super apostles who were who were demanding large wages. So a lot of people flocked to these super apostles because of the the large wages that they demanded. And yet the apostle Paul, the one who stood the test of history, uh, was the one who was giving the goods um, of the Lord. So we we pray that making this a free event does not turn people away to think that it's insignificant, but just an open door to really allow people to think deeply about uh, about uh, apologetics. Also, we have uh, we are providing childcare. So, uh, if you just want to get away with your wife and drop your kids off in childcare, come and listen to some great sessions and and just uh, engage with other folks around the around the room. It'd be a wonderful opportunity. So, uh, you can register for the event at simpleministries.org. Uh, That's simple ministries. Uh, dot org, uh, and we'll get you all the information that you need. Like I said, the event is free, childcare is free. Uh, you have great speakers. I'm going to be there. What else do you need to come? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Talk uh, just just uh, briefly, real quick. Give us your. You gave us, uh, I think, your personal um, website a little earlier. Give us that again, and uh, the website for Park as well as. Uh, the times for the church and location if people are interested in in coming to park. Sure. Well, we love we love to have all visitors. Um, I tell my church we love visitors and we love repeat visitors even more. <laughs> so my uh, my phone my uh, email or my website is Dave Keene D A V E K I E H N dot com, uh, and then our our church website is parkbaptist dot org, parkbaptist dot org. Uh, we have a 9:45 Sunday morning uh, Sunday school, 11 o'clock service, uh, and a su- 6 p.m. Uh, service on, on Sunday evening. And what we do is we take a, take the Bible, we open it up, and we walk through it verse by verse, um, week after week. Um, you know, we're not uh, the most flashiest church. What we do have is we have a love for Jesus. We love the Scriptures, and, and but Lord willing, we really love each other. Um, so we think that's a good recipe for a healthy church. Amen. And uh, it's also a Wednesday night service as well. So they can find that at Park Baptist, what is it, dot org? Parkbaptist.org. Um, All right. I want to encourage, yeah, can I, just, can I say one more thing? Yeah. Um, yeah of course, there's people who are, who are listening here. I just want to encourage you to, to really consider, um, you know, investing in, in Ratio Christi, right? Devin and Melissa Palou are, are godly, uh, a godly family. Uh, they love the Lord. 
And, man, they are willing to give their lives um, to help people understand the faith. Uh, if you go um, to uh, Devin and Melissa's, go to Rasha Christie and just do a search for Devin and Melissa Palou, it's a great way for you to get behind them, not only with prayer support, but the financial support. They are a wonderful, godly couple, and I would just commend them to you. And I did not pay him to say that, folks. <laughs> <laughs> did not pay him. Uh, free charge. Yeah. Free charge. <laughs> I'm I do a appreciate supporter, that. So I, be, I believe in them. So. Amen. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Pastor Dave, and uh, look forward to seeing you with the conference and that, and uh, look forward to having you again uh, on again in the future. Thank you. Anytime, friend. All right. God bless. God bless. All right, friends, uh, let's go ahead and uh, we'll take another quick break here, and we will gear up for our this, uh, finish our discussion on the Battle of the Worldviews. This is a uh, presentation that I've given at Kershaw Prison a few times and uh, uh, actually will be giving it to a few different Sunday schools, and uh, it's important. And we'll, we'll get into that a little more as to why it is important. So stay with us through the break, and we'll come back and uh, look at the Battle of the Worldviews. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. If you had one minute to be able to unpack for the audience, what about those who've never heard about Jesus Christ? How does intelligent design differ from a theological doctrine of creation? How do you answer that? Well, creation is always about the source of being. Where does everything come from? And uh, one one way you might, might illustrate that is a joke that was making the rounds on the internet some years back, where scientists come to God and they say, "We can do everything you can do." God says, "Oh, that's interesting. Show me." And then they say, "Well, we can uh, we can create humans from scratch. We can take some dust and and as they're about to continue, God says, "Well, wait a second. Get your own dust." Okay. Now, that's what creation is. It's giving being to existence. Carpenters take pre-existing materials. They're designers, and design is about taking pre-existing materials and finding patterns that point you to intelligence. So, uh, another way I illustrate this is you imagine a pan balance, and you've got a bale that includes one side, and you've got a one-pound weight on this side, which is up. How much weight is on this other side? Well, you know, you know it's more than one. It could be two pounds. It could be five pounds. It could be a million pounds. And that's how it is with intelligent design. We know that there's an intelligence behind the things that we see in nature, and things in biology and cosmology. But getting to an infinite, personal, transcendent, creator God of Christianity is not something the logic of intelligent design can take us to. But it's friendly to Christian theism in a way that uh, atheism, uh, the, the Dar Darwinian evolution, and ev uh, materialistic evolutionary theories are not. So it gives you a lot. It takes you some way. You know, it's closer to the kingdom. But if you want the gospel, you're going to have to go to the gospel. For those of you that want to learn more, this book, The Design Revolution, was very helpful to me, amongst many of his other books. This is John MacArthur inviting you to join me for Portraits of Grace. Men, have you ever been at work and realized you forgot to shave? Well, that's a good illustration of what it means to hear God's Word and forget to respond. James said, if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looked at his natural face in a mirror. This is not some casual glance either, but a careful, observant stare. Yet even a long, hard look is worthless if you walk away and forget what you saw. 
If you fail to respond because the image reflected in the mirror will soon fade when you don't make the corrections. Perhaps you've been putting off something that you know God's Word is instructing you to do. If so, don't delay. This is John MacArthur trusting that you'll look into the Word of God and become... Here's a Renewing Your Mind Minute with Dr. R.C. Sproul. Spiritual rebirth is the work of God. When Paul speaks in Ephesians 2 about being quickened by the Holy Ghost while we're dead in sin and trespasses, he's talking about regeneration, which is a supernatural work. It is a work done from above by the immediate power of God, and it is something that only God can do. You cannot make yourself be reborn any more than Lazarus could have brought himself out of the tomb. Just as you did not do anything for your natural birth except be born, so your rebirth is a matter of the mercy and grace of God. For today's special offer, visit RenewingYourMind.org. Uh, David Noble 
author of Understanding the Times, says a worldview is any ideology, philosophy, theology, movement, or religion that provides an overarching approach to understanding God, the world, and man's relations to God and the world. Now, I want to be clear that everyone has a worldview. So this is not just something that uh, Christians have. Uh, Though we would say um, the the Christian worldview is the true one, and compared to naturalism or atheism, we would say it is uh, certainly the most consistent one. Uh, We'll be, uh, as Pastor Dave was, was talking there about the apologetics conference coming up, um, I'm going to be doing the uh, talk on uh, overcoming the hijacking of science. And a lot of the material I will be using uh, for that is uh, a book by um, Dr. Frank Turek called Stealing from God. And I think we, we talked a little bit about this last week. And love this book. It's a great book. He goes through... Basically, uh, he uses the acronym CRIMES, causality, reason, information, morality, evil, and science. And on the back, he's got this blurb that says, what if your best reasons to doubt God actually prove that God exists? What if your best reasons to doubt God actually prove that God exists? And so he goes through, um, basically demonstrates how the atheists have to steal from God in order to even argue against God. In order to make an argument against the existence of God, of course, one has to assume things like the laws of logic, uh, reason, causality, information, these kind of things that naturalism really doesn't uh, provide uh, a grounding for. And so... That's why I say that I believe that the Christian worldview is the, uh, the not only the most uh, the one that is true, uh, but is also consistent, and that is important. Consistency is important. Uh, and I'll give you an example. As you look through some of the elements that make up a worldview, for example, ultimate reality, um, meaning what kind of God, if any, exists. So if you're an atheist and you say, ah, there is no God, uh, as Carl Sagan says, the cosmos is all there is, was, or ever will be. And then you get to external reality. Is there anything beyond the cosmos? Um, or how about is there minds outside of my own? Um, you know, the solipsist uh, approach is that, uh, you know, there are no other minds. It's just you, and your mind creates uh, what you think is, is reality and think that there are other minds and a world outside out there, but there's really not. Uh, so how do we know that there is those things, things like knowledge, what can be known, and how can anyone know it? Today we live in an age where uh, it is looked at as, at least in America, um, science is the... The, the be-all, end-all, know-all. Uh, if we cannot know it from the scientific evidence, we should not believe it. And here's a, here, here's a, a great point uh, when we're talking about 
um, a consistent worldview. When people say these kind of things, and this this idea is is, is uh, called scientism, <clears throat> right? Only that which can be tested through the scientific method is true. The problem with that is that very proposition is not something that can be taken through the scientific method. That's an assertion, and that is not something itself that is taken through the scientific method. Therefore, why should we believe it's true? If you only believe that which can be tested through the scientific method, and that proposition cannot be tested through the scientific method, why should we believe you? Why should we believe it? And that's what we mean when we're saying uh, the, the atheist worldview is not consistent. It's borrowing, again, from a Christian worldview. Knowledge. What is knowledge? How can we know it? The Christian is going to say we can know God through a couple of different ways. Let me let me look here quickly at the uh, at the London Baptist Confession, 1689 London Baptist Confession, and I believe they have a chapter on here. It might be. might be in the Westminster Confession, but it talks about how exactly God has made his works known to us. In the London Baptist Confession, 1689, Chapter 4, dealing with creation, Article 1 says, In the beginning it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness, to create or make the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days. And it goes on to say how he uh, wrote his law on our heart. And a lot of the old confessions and the creeds, uh, especially I'm more familiar with those in the Reformed tradition, Uh, talk about this, how God has uh, made himself known to us through uh, creation and through scriptures. In fact, in the Westminster Larger Catechism, it talks about the scriptures. What do the scriptures make known of God? This is question six. The scriptures make known what God is, the persons in the Godhead, his decrees, and his execution of the decrees. So there's, according to the Reformed Confessions, according to the creeds, according to uh, just Orthodox Christianity, God has revealed himself in basically, we would say, uh, two different ways, special revelation and general revelation. Again, this is going to differ from the atheist who says, uh, now, there are, I'm assuming there are atheists who uh, would be rationalists, but most are empiricists, meaning it is through the senses, it's through sense experience, that's how we, we know everything. And therefore, uh, this, issue of, this is why this issue of science and the scientific method is so important. Because if you can't, um, if we can't touch it, taste it, see it, smell it, 
um, basically through our senses, then we should question it. And that's why science, they would say, uh, is so powerful. That's why uh, it's different than religion, because it's, it makes predictions. We can test it, etc. Well, uh, just real quickly on that point, because I don't want to lose that point. Um, as a Christian, I, I would say um, amen to a lot of that. I love science. You know, if you come over to my house, you'll see I have a, a whole bookshelf dedicated to um, intelligent design, biology, geology, physics, etc. Um, you know, I love science, but the idea that the only way that one can get knowledge get, can get knowledge uh, is through science is both irrational because it's self-defeating. Uh, and secondly, it's demonstrably false. It is demonstrably false. There are areas such as history, historical truths, for example, uh, that are not science. You can't uh, test these things through biology. You know, often when I when I when I deal with with uh, skeptics, and again, I'm I'm a, a missionary with. Ratio Christie on uh, the campus campus of Winthrop University. People will make claims like, um, you know, prove that Jesus rose from the dead scientifically. Well, that's like saying uh, weigh a chicken with a yardstick. It's a it's a it's a category error. It is a total category mistake. They're two different categories. You can't prove from the scientific method a historical event. And so the question is fallacious. The question itself has a fallacy in it in that it is committing a category error. The question is not, can you prove the resurrection from science? The question is, uh, what, are, what, what uh, methods in the category of history can we look at and see are there good historical reasons to think that Jesus rose from the dead? So you have to deal with it with that category. Or people say science has disproven God's existence. When people say that, you know right off the bat they don't know what they're talking about. Because in principle, science could never prove the existence of God because science deals with that which is immaterial. Or I'm, I'm sorry, science deals with material. Science deals with the physical world, physical objects. Well, what is God? You know, if you read the, the London Baptist Confession or the Westminster, etc., cetera, uh, and the reason, again, folks, I appeal to those is, 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 you know, as a Protestant, we don't put those on the same level as, as Scripture, etc., uh, but we think that they are uh, they do a good job formulating what the scriptures teach. But if you read, you know, Westminster Confession or the London Baptist, it talks about God being immaterial, you know, incorporeal, simple, being, you know, uh without passions, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So in principle, science could not disprove the existence of God because it's it's a completely different category. God is not a physical being. So when people say, you know, prove God through the scientific method, 
if what they mean by that is you know looking at a you know through a telescope and thinking you're going to see god sitting you know sitting out there uh in space or something is is ridiculous now uh, we can look at the effects in nature okay i'm not saying science is silent on the issue of whether god exists i don't i don't i think science does tell us a lot it doesn't tell us uh, it doesn't tell us, um, for example, who the designer is. We don't know that just based on the scientific evidence. We we can't know that. Uh, but we can know whether or not we can infer design. And again, worldviews uh, world matter on this. And how one views the world is going to determine exactly how one views this issue of uh, again, as we're looking through the worldview system of reality, um, how do we know things, etc. I'm going to play this clip by Bill Nye, the Science Guy, and he's he's. Uh, this is a famous clip. I think this is the thing that really started the events uh, that uh, had the debate between Ken Ham and Bill Nye. Uh, that was watched by millions of people, and we'll we'll talk a few minutes about that as well. But um, keep in mind as we're talking about ultimate reality, knowledge, etc. Here's Bill Nye uh, again, and remember, quick presuppositions, right? Presuppositions are starting points. Everyone has pre- some presuppositions, but what is Bill Nye's presuppositions here? Remember, he's an atheist, right? So there's I want you to to hone in on this because there will be a few different things you'll see as he starts talking about uh, some of presuppositions he has that kind of uh, defines how he jumps into this topic. So here's Bill Nye, the science guy, on creation science. Denial of evolution is unique to the United States. I mean, we are the world's most advanced technological. So, I mean, you could say Japan, but generally the United States is where most of the innovation still happens. People still move to the United States. Uh, And that's largely because of the intellectual capital we have, the, the general understanding of science. When you have a portion of the population that doesn't believe in that, it holds everybody back, really. Evolution is the fundamental idea in all of life science, in all of biology. It's like it's very much analogous to trying to do geology without believing in tectonic plates. You're just not going to get the right answer. Your whole world is just going to be a mystery instead of an exciting place. As my old professor Carl Sagan said, when you're in love, you want to tell the world. So once in a while I get people that really or that claim they don't believe in evolution. And my response generally is, why not? Really, why not? Your world just becomes fantastically complicated when you don't believe in evolution. I mean, here are these ancient dinosaur bones or fossils. Here is uh, radioactivity. Here are distant stars that are just like the our star, but that are a different point in their life cycle. The idea of deep time of this of billions of years. Uh, explains so much of the world around us. If you try to ignore that, your your worldview just becomes crazy. It just uh, 
untenable, self inconsistent. And I say to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your in your uh, world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can, uh, we need engineers that can build stuff, solve problems. These are, it's just really hard thing. It's, it's really a hard thing. You know, in another couple centuries, the, that worldview, I'm sure, will be, it just won't exist. I mean, it's, it's, there's no evidence for it. So. Folks, so that's Bill Nye, the science guy there. And um, it, it's just, um, it's funny, some of the things he says. Um, I want to go through some of these. Uh, the theist won't exist, basically. So let's let's look at some of these. He says um, evolution is the basically the core of how they understand things like biology. Uh, and he uses the analogy of geology and plate te- tectonics. This is a sleight of hand. This is absolutely a sleight of hand. One of the things you will learn as you study apologetics is you have to make sure the terms that are being used are very, very clear. See, the first question that needs to be asked is, what do you mean by evolution? What do you mean by evolution? If you mean particles to people over billions of years, There's not evidence for that. But see, what they do is they will take things like uh, some examples of what's called microevolution. For example, you know, the finch's beak that oscillates uh, back and forth um, a few millimeters in size uh, when, depending on the particular season, whether it's been a heavy rain season or not, And they'll take these and they'll extrapolate these little small changes and from that derive that everything is related to a common ancestor. See, uh, Bill, there's evidence that dogs come from dogs and you might have big dogs and little dogs, etc. And a variety of dogs, variety of species. uh, And that's fine. That's scientific evidence. We see that. We demonstrate that. But see, when you say that the dog and the cat and the banana and the parakeet, uh, etc., all have a common ancestor, that's where you, you have lacked what we know from the scientific method, from the scientific evidence, and you jump into your fantasy. You talk about the Christians living in a fantasy, Um, You use the word evolution, and it's really a bait and switch. You bait people in when you say the word evolution, thinking that it's, um, you know, small change over time. Well, right. (laughs) Who who disagrees with that? What, What proponents of intelligent design disagree that things change over time? That is a straw man. No one argues that. 
The question is how far can that be extrapolated back? And there is legitimate scientific debate on that. There are numerous thousands of scientists that question whether or not uh, natural selection and mutations can drive the engine that is the neo-Darwinian model. Okay, and so, it, you know, you're not an idiot if you question that. Um, it's not as though only the smart scientists all believe it and everyone else who doesn't are, you know, people that are just living in their fantasy, as Bill says. No, uh, there are legit scientists. Uh, we've had, for example, Jonathan McClatchy on this show. Jonathan McClatchy has a master's degree in evolutionary biology and completely disagrees and has published work refuting several tenets of the Darwinian view. So it's just not true that, um, you know, evolution is the core of, uh, of the biological sciences. The vast majority of the scientific disciplines were discovered by, most of them were Bible-believing Christians, but... Uh, I think all of them were theists. See, so you set up the straw man as though, um, you know, all scientists are atheists and only the dumb people believe in the Bible or believe that God exists, when in reality it was those who believed not only God existed, but that the Bible was the word of God and they wanted to know the mind of the creator. They wanted to know the mind of the creator. You see this snuck in uh, in one of the things he says where he is saying that, um, you know, once you accept an uh, intelligent design and an intelligent designer, uh, that suddenly you, you stop caring about how the world works. There's no more mystery. There's nothing else exciting. Why bother doing science? Folks, that is just simply a straw man. Tell that to the founders uh, of, the, of those who discovered the different scientific branches that were, again, were theists and Bible believers. It's just simply not true in many, in many respects. Um, it's because they, again, they wanted to know the mind of the creator. These things um, help explain certain things. And I won't go off too much on a rabbit trail on that because you could get into things like uh, vestigial organs, which was this idea that uh, because uh, of the evolutionary process, man has all these these uh, vestiges left over from evolution. At one time, I believe it was over 100 uh, vestigial organs. I think, I think it might have been 200 that were put on this list. And what happens? As science, improves and as science gets better, the technology gets better, one by one by one, those things were taken off the list. They at one time thought the tailbone was vestigial, which is ridiculous. Several muscles attached to the tailbone that you need to be able to do things like use the bathroom. Um, your, what's a, another popular one? Um, the oh, what's the one that people get taken out all the time? I mean, tonsils have been uh, uh, 
I believe Fox that at one time. I, I could be wrong on that. Uh, but it, it's one thing after another that people thought were vestigial and as the appendix. That's what I'm thinking of. <clears throat> the appendix is, was thought for a long time to be useless and uh, just left over from evolutionary um, processes. And now scientists know that the appendix helps with the immune system. It helps fight off certain things. And so here's an example where the naturalistic worldview, uh, because people just assume that uh, there was no creator or design or creation, that um, these things were just left over. So, of course, the science gets better. One by one, those things are all removed. He says, um, he goes on, to, and, and this is the thing. He, uh, this, this gets us into the, the Bill Nye ham debate. He says, um, basically, your worldview cannot explain the evidence. And the evidence that he gives is uh, distance from the starlight, uh, dinosaur fossils. Basically, what he does is he he argues against a particular view of creation, and he doesn't he doesn't even do that well. Now, let me say this up front because I I want to be clear in where I'm coming from. I am a young Earth creationist. I don't hide that. I don't shy away from that. Um, I believe God created this uh, universe six days, six to 10,000 years ago. I have no problem with that. I think the Bible teaches that. Uh, and I don't have a problem. I, I think the scientific evidence from what we see is consistent with that. Yes, there's different assumptions, etc. cetera. Uh, but I have no problem believing God created this world six to 10,000 years ago and did it in six 24-hour days. Now, that being said, if I'm honest and I'm looking at the biblical text and I'm reading Genesis, I believe the most straightforward view is God created the universe in about six days, six 24-hour days. However, I understand that not everyone comes to that conclusion, and this is an issue uh, that has been debated for a long time among brilliant men. Now, some of my young earth creationist friends, um, and I used to be in this camp, would basically say if you hold to an old earth, you are a compromiser, you are a heretic, you are opening the floodgates uh, you know, for liberalism. And let me just say, as one who goes to um, a, a Southern Evangelical Seminary, and I will actually be taking a course on human evolution this summer with uh, Fuzz Rana from Reasons to Believe. Um, the godliest, some of the godliest men I know and some of the best defenders of the Christian faith, in fact, I would say the majority of apologists today, some of the best, all hold to a world a universe is 13.7 billion years old. Now, the the same thing is this, and this is sometimes amazes people. These guys do not hold to evolution, right? So when people say, oh, they're, just, they're, they're compromising. No, 
They don't believe in biological evolution. They hold to intelligent design. They believe God created Adam and Eve, dogs, zebras, etc., uh, not that they have a common ancestor. And the reason I say that is, look, again, every one of these things that Bill and I brought up, I believe the young earth creationist model can explain, and it can explain it well, and dare I say, I think it can explain even better than the old earth model on certain things. However, I think that there is certainly room for Christians to hold an old earth view and an old earth model and not be confused, not, not be condemned for uh, giving up inerrancy, not being condemned for being, uh, being called compromisers, etc. I think that that kind of talk I just find to be very uncharitable. The word for day in Genesis, the Hebrew word is yom, and it can have a variety of meanings. Okay, it could mean a 12-hour portion of the day. It could mean a full day. It could mean um, way back in time. It could mean a long period of time, okay? And so uh, depending on the old earth model, uh, probably the most popular model now is something like uh, what Dr. Hugh Ross uh, and Reasons to Believe espouses with a progressive creationist model that God, that, uh, God did create in six days, but they were, they were long periods of time. Now, do I agree with that? No. I don't. I don't agree with that. And I think if you get into the text and you wrestle it out, I think that the young earth model is stronger. But I don't call him a heretic because of that. I understand how the old earth model, how people get that, right, and, and, and come to that conclusion. See, folks, on several areas when it comes to theology, uh, people are going to agree and disagree. So if you look at, let's talk about Calvinism versus Arminianism, right? I am Reformed. I do not hide the fact that I am Reformed. I believe that the Bible, uh, the, the Reformed model, best explains the numerous passages uh and, I, and I, I have no problem holding that. Now, I understand that there are those who do not hold that model, that do not agree with that, and they come to a different conclusion. Does that mean we're both right? No, it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that those who don't hold the view are heretical. And that's what I'm, I guess that's a, large, a larger point I'm trying to make. And the reason I make it is because of this. Bill Nye is going after one particular model of creation. And as parents, we need to be wise. We don't want to marry the age of the earth to the gospel. We don't want to marry the age of the earth to Christianity. Do I believe that the earth is young? Yes. Do I believe God created in six literal days, uh, you know, Six twenty-four hour days, six ten thousand years ago. Yes, I do. But it's not a hill that I'm going to die on, because I could be wrong about that. The old Earth creationists could be right. 
Now, there are hills that I will die on. I will die on justification by faith alone. I will die on... Um, I will die on the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, the virgin birth, the essentials of the faith. The age of the earth is not that. The age of the earth is not an essential of the faith. So though it, uh, and don't misunderstand me, by saying it's not an essential of the faith, is not saying that therefore it's not important. That's, that's not what's being said at all. But we need to make sure we're not elevating a particular view or interpretation of a text uh, and, you know, sometimes we can we can confuse that the Bible's infallible with our interpretation of the Bible. Our interpretation is not infallible. And so I have a two-year-old, and I am going to teach her the various models of creation. This is what the old earth creationists believe. This is what the young earth creationists believe. And I'm going to train her in the young earth model. But I will make it very clear to her, and I will encourage her, and we will do this in, in her school, we will look at the other positions. We will look at the strengths. We will look at the weaknesses of all the views. So when she goes off to college and they start attacking the age of the earth, her whole foundation of the Christian faith is not wrapped up in the age of the earth. And this is what Nye does. And this is what was so frustrating about the Ken Ham-Bill Nye debate. Because the whole discussion went on about issues that Christians themselves debate about and Christians themselves have disagreements about. So you don't want to spend your whole time debating about the age of the earth when the bigger question is, is there a reason to think God created the universe at all? Regardless of the time, regardless if it's billions of years or thousands of years ago, why is there something rather than nothing? That's the question that needs to be asked. Not being sidetracked on carbon dating or Noah's flood those are issues that will come up. Those are things that believers will discuss and disagree. And that's fine. That's great. That needs to happen. That's a, that's a discussion that needs to happen. But if, if you're replacing the discussion of God's existence with that, you've missed the point. And so Nye does not offer well, and he, he really doesn't offer a good critique of the Young Earth model. I mean, it was very obvious during the debate with Ken Ham, and again, um, God bless Ken Ham, um, but I just, I don't find him at times to be the most charitable. Um, I have thousands of dollars worth of materials from Answers in Genesis. I love their scientists. I love their work. Uh, but I don't find Ken Ham to be the most charitable I see a lot of times in the posts and in articles a almost this idea that the word evolution and millions of years are synonymous, and they're just not. They're just not synonymous. They're not interchangeable. Millions of years is a necessary condition for evolution, meaning this. 
If you don't have millions of years, neo-Darwinism is false. Because neo-Darwinism requires billions of years. Okay? So billions of years is a necessary condition for Darwinism. But millions of years is not a sufficient condition for Darwinism, meaning millions of years alone does not guarantee or obtain the neo-Darwinian view. And that's why you can be a Christian, hold to the Big Bang model, and many Christians do. Again, listen to guys like Dr. William Lane Craig, etc. Brilliant, brilliant men and who, who will argue that the Big Bang, and, and I have no problem doing this with atheists myself, and we train our ratio students to do this. For the sake of the argument, let them have the Big Bang. That's fine. Um, because it doesn't explain why there's something rather than nothing. The Big Bang is, is talking about the effect. It's not talking about the cause. And that's why so many people get confused. And then they, they immediately think, and again, I think people like Ken Ham do this, that if you accept the Big Bang, therefore you have to accept uh, evolution and millions of years. And therefore, uh, millions of years and evolution are synonymous. And they're, they're just not. They're not synonyms. And so we need to be charitable to our old earth creationist friends who uh, hold a different view. And we can wrestle over the text. We can wrestle over the evidence. Um, but I think we need to be careful um, not to tie our view of the gospel to the age of the earth. And so really what, what, what Nye does is he completely disregards um, a, a large portion of, of Christians who hold an older view. So old earth Christians are not going to argue with them about dinosaurs, starlight and time, etc. And so it's a straw man. It's only against a particular view of creation that he he argues against. And uh, as I said, though his his uh, his little arguments against the young earth view is, is pretty pathetic. I don't think he's I don't think he's read uh, much stuff on the young earth models and how those particular objections are answered. I just I don't believe that he has. I think it was demonstrated. He says, grown-ups can live in your fantasy land. Grown-ups, you live in your fantasy land, but don't make your kids do that because we need them. Now, what you notice here is a presupposition against miracles. It's this idea that God does not exist, and the idea that God could create and bring about a universe, create men in the image of God, etc., is uh, it's a fantasy. It's a story. It's, it's make-believe. And if you want to believe that, well, you just go ahead and believe that, but uh, you know, don't force that on your kids. Well, Mr. Nye, I think if you look um, at the evidence, um, see, because it, it really goes... This 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 cuts both ways, right? Um, we've seen t 
time and time again. You can look at the video expelled. Ben Stein, who's not a Christian, shows the absolute prejudice and intolerance towards anything that would even hint of intelligent design. Reading an article earlier this week posted on creation.com about uh, some scientists who had made uh, reference to, uh, they did a paper on the design of the hands. And they used the word design. And I think they had accidentally slipped and said creator or something. And right away, right away, people were demanding that uh, the the article be removed, going after the editor. I mean, <laughs> come out, apologize, everything. So what you see is not a fair, let's look at the evidence, what does it say, um, no, it is a it, it is a bias against miracles. It is a bias against uh, any idea of an intelligent designer, right? One of the one of the biggest objections that come from evolutionists is, well, if I if if ID is true, how come you guys never publish in the secular journals? Well, good question. Uh, maybe because um, first of all, they rarely ever, if ever. Uh, can sneak by the peer review process to where uh, they're not immediately thrown out and rejected for mentioning intelligent design. Uh, and then if they are, you have atheists that immediately go into a you know a tantrum and demand the articles be removed and the editors fired. So my point with all this is you know. Bill Nye is basically saying, don't brainwash your kids in one view. Yet in the secular view, in schools, etc., they will not allow for a debate about the evidence, a discussion of the evidence. Um, read on the Dover trial. Again, go to, go to YouTube. You can watch the full-length movie uh, of Expelled, where you just see one professor after another, after another, after another, who is uh, badly targeted uh, because they hold views of intelligent design. So if that's what we want, where we just, you know, hey, let's just look at the evidence and not brainwash people, well, I would encourage that. We need that. But uh, that never happens. That, that never happens because the other side is always always shouted down. Let me see if I can find this particular clip. Um, I think it was the most, one of the most amazing things I've, I've ever seen. Uh, it was Stephen Meyer, and he's on MSNBC, which, you know, tells you right away it's probably not going to go very good uh, for him. And... Um, just because of the, the network. Hold on one second, folks. We're going to take a, a quick little little break. I'm going to see if I can find this clip. And I want you guys to see what we're talking about. Again, it's, we're, we're talking about the battle of the worldviews. We're talking about epistemology, metaphysics, how we know, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, stay with us. I'm going to see if I can find this clip. 
All right, folks, I'm not able to, to find that clip. I'll, I'll have it queued up for next week. Um, but what you, you will see is just this berating of uh, Dr. Stephen Meyer uh, as he is trying to uh, explain the intelligent design view. He's in a discussion with Eugenie Scott. One of the things that he brings out that is just a tremendous insight is there's a difference between the, the evidence for the theory and the implications of the theory. Uh, and so to just uh, automatically dismiss intelligent design because uh, you don't like the theological implications is is dishonest. And, you know, with Bill Nye, no one's, no one's asking to have kids just taught intelligent design uncritically, without thinking, without viewing the other side, et cetera. Um, but the idea that uh, if you would dare come to a conclusion that that uh, the neo-Darwinian view is not true, that you're just living in a fantasy land, it's just repugnant and it's laughable and it's funny. And, um, you know, that debate uh, between Ken Ham and Bill Nye would have been very different had Nye debated someone like Frank Turek, William Lane Craig, Stephen Meyer, anyone like that. That debate would have been very, very, very different. Lastly, he goes on to say how uh, he's pretty sure that the Christian worldview will be dead, you know, uh, in a in a you know certain amount of years. Yeah, you know, uh, people through history have have always thought that. You know, you see the funny uh, little little meme uh, where Nietzsche says God is dead, and then underneath you say. Nietzsche is dead God, you know. So uh, Christianity and theism is not going anywhere because it's true. Uh, Unlike Darwinism and unlike atheism, which is constantly changing, constantly um, having to, I guess for a better word, evolve to try and, and keep afloat because of the scientific evidence, continues to mount, the more and more uh, Darwinism uh, is just exposed as another failure. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that there. But we look at things like worldview. We look at things like external reality. We look at things like knowledge, again, what can be known. Bill Nye is a great example of a man who is holds to the whole scientism view. And you, you just you see that in his presuppositions, you see that in the way he argues, you see that in the way he puts up um, arguments against uh, the theist, theistic worldviews, the biblical worldviews, etc. So that's an example of of that, of the naturalist doing that. Now, one of the other worldviews we've been looking at was pantheism. Now. One of the most popular people in our time has been Oprah Winfrey. And, you know, hey, what's not to like about her? She's a beautiful woman. She's smart. She's loving. She's caring. uh, Very intelligent. Um, There's a lot to like about Oprah. Uh, And so, you know, as we do this, I want to be clear. This is not an assassination on her character. And neither was the discussion on Bill Nye. Uh, this is going to be looking at the world view. 
So one of the one of the strong tenets with atheism, at least kind of the new atheism, is this idea of um, scientism. You know, we cannot know anything except through the scientific method. Now, Oprah is a good example of someone who represents a pantheistic worldview. A lot of women watch her. A lot of people have thought, oh, Oprah is a Christian. She loves Jesus. She loves the Bible. No problem watching Oprah. No problem uh, reading the people that she has on her shows, etc. She's a great Christian. She's very spiritual. Well, here's, this is a clip uh, that is taken from one of the shows Oprah did a few years back, uh, probably several years back now. Uh, where she openly denies that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And uh, we'll just kind of show you one of the main tenets of pantheism. We looked at, again, atheism and how this view of scientism kind of dictates uh, how they how they think, how they interpret the evidence, etc. Let's listen to Oprah Winfrey, and we'll, we'll look into a little bit about pantheism in the last 10 minutes we have of the show and kind of look how... Uh, they interpret uh, particular things in their light of their worldview. So here she is. She's on a show. Um, <clears throat> the issue, uh, the, she's got a guest on. They're talking about, uh, I think, Jesus, and uh, this is what happens. A panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God, but I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us that we do have our, our, our gods that we can depend on, but there's also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. And, and that's you, where the choice is. Do you begin. believe that, that you can choose between one or the other? Most, most absolute definitely. Yes. Now, now Marianne uh, Williams says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other, that all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, that which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway. Uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world, that there are millions of ways to be a then human being and, and many ways, no, but many paths no to what you call God. That and her crazy. path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light. But her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be on that, I mean, it, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, I there could possibly be just one way. What, what about you? What about Jesus? There is one way and only one way, and there that is through Jesus. Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with because a million you people say in the there world. isn't. There couldn't possibly be because you say you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If no. you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that means you right. You think you think that if you if you are somewhere on the planet, where you if you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus. But yet you live with a loving heart. You lived as Jesus would have had you to live. You lived 
for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus. You cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. The People heart. are talked about Truly, that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or God care about if you call his son Jesus? Well, you know... Oprah, God, Jesus cannot come back until that gospel is preached in the four corners of this earth. So, you know, figure it out. Okay, okay, I can't get into a religious argument with you. It's not religion, Oprah. I can't get into a religious argument with you, John. All right, folks, and there you have it. You know, she's not going not gonna to get into a religious uh, debate. But this is, and I say this, you know, we have done evangelism um, at, they have a thing out here, I believe it's towards Hickory, not Hickory, I'm thinking maybe Gastonia area, called the Pagan Festival. And what it is, is those who are very involved in the occult, and witches and vampires and etc. And they call themselves pagans. It's not me being derogatory. They, they, it's called the Pagan Festival. And one of the world, well, the main worldview that they all seem to have held, as we were talking with them, was pantheism. This idea that God is the world, the world is God, I'm God, you're God, the trees are God, everything is God. And this idea that there is a uh, right way and only one way is narrow-minded, it's bigoted, etc. And we see this with Oprah, right? This comes screaming through in this. There's no doubt. People would want to keep defending her and saying she's a Christian, etc. Look, folks, uh, those who may think that, read your Bible. She very clearly denies John 14.6, John 8.24, John 8.58, etc. Um, She says, one mistake humans make is that there is only one way to God. Now, if you remember, we started this series last week talking about the coexist bumper sticker. And we said uh, that the bumper sticker is ambiguous. It's ambiguous because it doesn't really get to the heart of the matter. In one sense, you can agree with it. In another sense, you can't. In the sense that we are to be able to live with our Jewish friends, Muslim friends, Mormon friends, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, whatever. New Age, cult, pagans, Wiccans, whatever. We should live with them, uh, coexist with them without killing them. I think we can all agree with that. We should not spread violence. We should not be intimidating. We should not do those kind of things. Um, Remember, we're not only to um, love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but we're also to love our neighbors ourselves. So Christians are not going to have a problem with that. The underlying assumption, though, in that bumper sticker is with the coexist bumper sticker Uh, is that all views are equal. All views are true. And that if you say the Muslim view is not true, you are a bigot. You are hateful. You are not loving. If you say that the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Muslims, for example, are not on their way to heaven, then that's just being unloving. 
And the problem is this. That works with a lot of people because it's emotional. It's an emotional argument. And it seems like, hey, yeah, we should all love each other. We should, we're all entitled to our own views. And that's true. We are all entitled to our own views. But see, we're not all entitled to our own facts. And to say that Islam and Christianity cannot both be true is not being a bigot. It's being rational. It's being logical. Islam says God has no son. Christianity says Jesus is God's son. So it is not being a bigot to insist that both cannot be true. And see, Oprah insists that she's tolerant and she's loving and she's she's inclusive. She's not exclusive. But see, she actually is exclusive because the Christian says Jesus is the only way to heaven. Oprah says, no, he's not. He is not the only way to heaven. Not only is he not, not, not only is he not the only way to heaven, he couldn't possibly be the only way to heaven. See, she says this in the name of tolerance and love, etc. Well, if it's wrong to say that a person's position is false, then why is she telling the Christian that his position is false? See, truth by definition is exclusive. And if you say things like, um, not all worldviews are true, then they, a lot of people will brand you as hateful and brand you as a bigot, etc. Uh, but at the same time, they don't take their own advice and they don't see how their worldview is self-contradictory because their view is also exclusive. You can't get out of it, folks. Truth matters. Truth is exclusive. Truth divides. It separates from error. We're going to talk more about this next week. We're going to continue our study on the battle of the worldviews. I, I hope you guys have enjoyed the show. And um, I hope the show is being a blessing to you. We love doing it and love talking about the things of God and love talking about truth. Join us again next week. We're going to continue this topic on the battle of the worldviews. And uh, just look look forward to seeing what God has uh, in store. So make sure you join us next week. God bless. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. 
Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.